Good morning. So last night we were exploring, sorry, yesterday afternoon we were exploring the second foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of feeling tone, knowing whether experiences at any of the six sense doors register as pleasant, as unpleasant, or as neither, as neutral. And this second foundation is kind of a bridge between the first and the third foundation. So the first foundation is the body, and the third foundation is the mind. And in between them is the second foundation of feeling tone, which is not purely physical or purely mental. It's kind of a a hybrid thing. But when we begin to pay attention to it, it's a little more subtle than just the basic physical sensations in the body. So we can see how our practice is starting to progress now to more subtle and complex aspects of our experience. And it's good training for beginning to work directly with mindfulness of the mind. So in this third foundation, we are asked to look to pay very direct attention to our thoughts, also to our emotions and our moods or our mind states. So my understanding is that the Pali word that's usually translated as mind is citta. And in uh, the culture of northern India and in many other Asian cultures, this word citta refers to more than what we in the West might think of as mind. So it actually includes our emotions, our heart qualities. So for that reason, I sometimes refer to it as heart-mind hyphenated because it's not just about the intellect. So again, with this third foundation of mindfulness, as I said last night, the uh, common instructions for the first three foundations of mindfulness are simply to know our experience as it is. So here, for example, with mindfulness of mind, this is what it says. Here one knows a lustful mind to be lustful and a mind without lust to be without lust. One knows an angry mind to be angry and a mind without anger to be without anger. One knows a deluded mind to be deluded and a mind without delusion to be without delusion. One knows a contracted mind to be contracted and a distracted mind to be distracted. So you might have recognized in there the three so-called root poisons of greed, hatred and delusion. So in this stage of the practice, again, we're simply knowing if any of these three unwholesome energies are present or not. And again, remembering how important it is to notice when they're not present also. So in this first stage of working with mindfulness of the mind, we're simply knowing what's happening in the mind with bare awareness, without reactivity again. And this is very different from the usual way we relate to our minds, either dismissing our thoughts or believing them completely identifying with them and taking them to define who we are. So many of us have these two quite contradictory attitudes to our thoughts. One very common tendency is to uh, think that uh, what we think doesn't matter because it's just a thought. It's just a thought. 
So, for example, we might spend a lot of time getting caught in resentment about a worker, co-worker, fostering aversive or jealous mind states. And we can tell ourselves, well, it's okay because they're just thoughts. They didn't actually do anything or say anything. But from the Buddha's point of view, this is a very dangerous approach because the quality of our mind does have an effect, not only on ourselves, but on the people around us. And if we are unconsciously fostering these unskillful mind states or sometimes even consciously cultivating them, we run the risk that at some point we will express that unskillfulness through our speech or our action. Because as it says in the Dhammapada, everything we do and say starts with an intention in the mind. And if the mind states that these intentions come out of are harmful, then likewise our speech and our actions will be harmful to ourselves and to others. So those lines from the Dhammapada, I think, are just worth repeating here. This is from the translation by Gil Fransdell. He says, All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a corrupted mind, and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind, and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. So it's an act of self-protection as well as protection for others to really take care of our heart minds and to play, to pay really close attention to what's going on there. Then we can make sure that we don't feed unskillful thoughts and we do feed skillful thoughts. So on the one hand, we have this tendency to ignore or dismiss or deny that our thoughts are important. And on the other hand, at times we go to the other extreme and take them far too seriously to believe everything that we think, to believe that we are our thoughts. So I'm guessing you've all had the experience, perhaps even on this retreat, of being in a state of relative ease, feeling okay, perhaps even happy. And then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, a random thought comes in that's quite negative in some way. And we just become locked in all kinds of painful, unpleasant emotions, sometimes for hours, because of one random neuronal firing in the brain. Some of you are nodding. You may have had that experience. So we can know for ourselves what happens when we don't pay attention to the mind in a skillful way and just run with whatever random thoughts happen to flit through it. The good news, though, is that these uh, challenging thoughts and mind states are a normal and expected part of the practice. And we can actually use them to fuel it. So Joseph Goldstein says, what is reassuring about all of these instructions is that they fully acknowledge the difficulties that arise in practice. It's not that somehow we need to be free of all the hindrances and defilements in order to proceed. Here the Buddha is saying that mindfulness of all these states when they arise is itself the path to freedom. Through bare attention and mirror-like wisdom, 
we see their ephemeral, impermanent and selfless nature. That itself is sufficient for liberation. So being able to see through our thoughts and to see their true nature is what frees us from them. And perhaps that sounds good in theory, but because our thoughts often are so seductive and they do seem so real and they do so often feel to define who we are, it takes quite a bit of training to learn how to work skillfully with them. So we might begin to notice that uh, thoughts are just thoughts. And just that is pretty radical. In and of themselves, they don't have that much power. They only have whatever power we give them. All they are is just firings in the brain, little electric impulses. And the more solid we make them, the more weight we give to them, the more seriously we take them, usually that's directly related to how much suffering we experience. The opposite is also true. The more lightly we see them, the less we identify with them, the more we let them just come and go, the more freedom we have, the less suffering we have. So we need to practice working with thoughts in meditation to learn how to let them come and go without either suppressing them or feeding them. And the first thing to remember is that thoughts are not the enemy. We're not trying to get rid of them because thinking is what the mind does. It's just natural. The eyes see, the ears hear, the mind thinks. And usually if we try to stop our thoughts, that creates a whole lot of tension in the mind and often feeds even more thinking. And yet still even very experienced meditators often have this belief that real meditation happens when there are no thoughts in the mind. And it's true that at times in states of deep calm and concentration, the thoughts can fall away. But this is um, in some ways a byproduct of the practice that we're doing here. It's not the main goal. We're trying to find a balance between calm and insight. So in a similar way, we're learning how to change our relationship to our thoughts and also to our emotions. And in some ways, emotions can be even more sticky and tricky to deal with. But the first step, as with the thoughts, is to try to not take them personally. So the usual tendency is to think, I'm bored, or I'm angry, or I'm a hopeless meditator, or I'm never going to get anywhere, or I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm frustrated, and so on. But the more we can train ourselves to know, oh, anger is anger is arising, boredom has arisen, this is frustration, frustration feels like this. The more we can relate to them with this impersonal attitude, the freer we can become in relation to them. So that's one reason why I've been emphasizing that question. How am I relating to my experience? What's the attitude in the mind? So we can start to see, am I identifying with it and taking it personally, believing it to be who I am? So in this next meditation session, I'm going to offer us an opportunity to practice working with thoughts uh, very directly, to see them come and go 
And for some people, when they get to this point, they find that the thoughts just seem to disappear and there's nothing to actually pay attention to. For other people, they might find that the thoughts suddenly increase enormously. It doesn't matter what your experience is. There's no right or wrong here. It's just an invitation to start seeing, experimenting with paying attention to mindfulness of the mind. It's also very common that people get sort of tense and try too hard to do this. So as best you can, really try to relax, to settle back and just receive the experience. Okay.